your news broadcasts love these stories. And they put them usually at the end of the broadcast to leave you on, a, on an up note. Hospitals like to feature them on their website sometimes to show you how good their care is and how that care can affect even a person's life holistically. And when these stories are featured, this person that is being featured is often said to have a new lease on life, a new outlook, leading them to make changes to either enjoy life more or to live life better. This week our passage speaks of a new beginning, but, but one that's even more profound than simply just having a new outlook on life. To the extent that Jesus speaks of it in terms of having a brand new life, one that is made possible by his work, and one that comes with following him. As John's gospel presents this dialogue in our passage between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus, the passage touches on some of the nature of the kind of life that God has in mind for we who follow Jesus. Last week we looked at how the fallout and consequences of our sin are outweighed by the grace of God and the gift of righteousness and life that was made possible through Jesus Christ as we looked at Paul's words in Romans 5. And today, we're in the lectionary's gospel passage for this week, which will show us several aspects of the life made possible by the grace of God through the work of Jesus. The passage opens with Nicodemus, who we are told is a Pharisee. We're told he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, and the Pharisees were a party of laity marked by strict observance of the law. They even had their own tradition built around the law to keep them from breaking it. They were well studied and highly respected, as is consistent with his position. They are among the religious elite. Throughout the gospel narratives, they are often grouped together as Jesus' opponents, often in contrast to Jesus' Galilean disciples, who are not elite, but far more marginal and likely far less educated. Nicodemus has been portrayed in various ways in this passage, anywhere from being in a place, coming from a place where he's challenging Jesus to even one where he's just confused. Considering the greater scope of things and, and how the gospel story plays out, I think he comes to Jesus seeking understanding to things that he has apparently already seen. It's been suggested that he comes to Jesus at night, which John mentions because he doesn't want to be seen, perhaps by other Pharisees, which would be understandable. It's also possible that it's simply because those who were well-studied often studied at night because they had to work during the day. It could also be just John using his device of contrasting night with the light of Jesus. Whatever the case... For whatever reason, Nicodemus comes to him at this time. We have a member of a party that often clashes with Jesus from time to time, acknowledging the miraculous work of Jesus and at least entertaining that he is a teacher from God, though likely putting him on the same level as other human prophets. He appears to be trying to put these things together. He calls him rabbi. And says, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus responds, 
saying, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I think it's clear that Nicodemus is missing something. He's missing the reality to which Jesus is referring. To enter the kingdom of God requires a new life. So fundamental is this concept to the Christian walk. If you do a search, if you just punch in new life into a search engine, pretty much the entire first page of what shows up is going to be churches and ministries. Because that's foundational to who we are. As we follow Jesus, we receive a new life. This is consistent with the reality we heard from Paul last week. Jesus makes something new and better possible than the life we had in our sin and even our original state as humans. And just to make things interesting, John is doing some, th- some interesting things linguistically. He's using a lot of wordplay in this passage. John is using devices his audience is familiar with to highlight some, some, some nuances. And it's worth recognizing to get the robust nature of what the passage is presenting. He's likely taking advantage of some double meaning. The word translated again, as in born again, it can also mean from above. And considering what follows, I think that's very intentional. The new, I think the nuance of being from above is also in view. This new life is something that is supernatural. It comes from God. It's a rebirth from above, if you will. Nicodemus is understandably confused. He's having trouble getting beyond the physical concept of birth. How can someone be born when they are old, he says. And Jesus makes it more explicit in the subsequent verses. And as he makes it more explicit, he also adds even more mystery to the picture. He says in verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives, gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Jesus is expanding on what he opened with. The new life is being born of water and spirit. And there's some discussion as to what he means by that. The spirit is pretty direct. Most of the discussion is around what he means by water. It could, it's a possibility that he could be referring to baptism that will demarcate the faith community. Or, in the most immediate sense, Well, it could also, actually, before we get to the most immediate sense, it could also refer to the spiritual reality of, as, as Jesus puts it, being baptized with the Holy Spirit after he ascends into heaven, as he says in the book of Acts. In the most immediate sense of God's, John's gospel, water is often used as a metaphor for the life-giving work of God, which would then make water and spirit a singular concept woven together describing this new life that he brings. In the simplest sense, Jesus is saying that the new life from above is going to be life in the Spirit, life with the Holy Spirit. That is life full of the life-giving activity of God. 
Coming to Jesus is not just a doing over of our lives. It is not just hitting the reset button. It is not just wiping the slate clean. It is a new reality that comes with life in the Holy Spirit. It is active. It is present. And Jesus gets into it even in more detail later in the gospel and tells his followers that when he goes, he will send the Spirit. And the way he describes it, he tells them it is for their benefit. He describes it as a better reality than when they were walking alongside him. How is that possible? It's hard to wrap our minds around that. We long for the day to see Jesus face to face. And we should. I think it's because in his ministry, he is, he is still operating under geographical constraint. He heals in the town that he's in. And then he goes to another town. And he does his work there. And he preaches there. When the Holy Spirit comes... The work of God expands exponentially through his people. Now, anyone can encounter the living God. Now, anyone can have an encounter with the risen Lord. Anytime, anywhere. Wherever God's people are at work. Because we have this life in the Holy Spirit who connects us to Jesus. There's even more wordplay in these verses if you're still with me. The word for spirit is the same for wind in both Greek and Hebrew. It's the same in the New Testament and the Old Testament. All that we are exploring is profound enough, but when we add the wordplay, Nicodemus' reaction, it makes that much more sense. How can this be? What are you talking about? But using that word, using the wind, even as Jesus goes back and forth, describing the life in the spirit, is very appropriate. Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from and, or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Just as we cannot see the wind, but we see its effects, so it is with the Holy Spirit. We see his work in our lives and in our world through ourselves. We see it through his church and he shapes us to be more and more like Jesus and connects us with, the with him and the love of the Father. And not unlike the wind, the Spirit is very mysterious and untamable. We dove into this a little bit if you were in Sunday school this morning. There's a reason your weather forecasts are sometimes not so reliable. Don't get me wrong. Our meteorologists do a pretty good job. Even in the last 20 years, they've gotten a lot better at even just a three-day forecast. Five-day, they still do all right. After seven days, it's about 50-50. They have no idea what's going to happen in a couple weeks. And if we can expand the concept of wind to atmospheric conditions, the reason it's so hard is because tiny, even just the tiniest variable can change things, which changes other things. That affects where the wind is going, 
Even when they get to their conclusions, it's because they have supercomputers crunching the data, creating separate models which they are trying to interpret and maybe average or figure out. All to bring you your forecast. The wind is very mysterious. How much more mysterious is the creator of the wind? How much more mysterious is the Spirit of God? There is no telling what he will do in our lives or what moves he will make in our world. There's no telling what he will call us to. And not unlike the weather, it is sometimes different than what we think it will be. There's a reason I like to tell, God, I like to tell people that God is the greatest adventure. Because you don't know what's going to happen. And as we said this morning in, in our Sunday school class, sometimes that's very exciting and sometimes it's terrifying. Maybe a little bit of both. But considering the mysterious language of the wind and even Jesus' words speaking and testifying to what, to, we testify, saying we testify to what we know and see, but you have not understood, or if I talk to you about earthly things and you have not believed, how will you believe about heavenly things? There's a sense the world simply does not understand this. They don't understand what Jesus is talking about. The principles of the kingdom of God that we live by as we are reborn and given this new life, they are often upside down for our world. They are often upside down for our nature, even for ourselves. And this is especially the case in our culture. This is why it requires... This is why Jesus talks about it as a new life. It requires a new heart given to us by God. And so our values of being independent and exercising our own personal freedoms as we see fit, we subject those to being dependent on God. And while the world would advocate that we be captains of our own ship, we have to go wherever the spiritual wind takes us wherever the Spirit would lead. While the world scrambles for status, power, and possessions, life in the kingdom says that greatness is being the servant of all. And if you want to keep your life, you have to give it up. And our Savior set the example for that. Now there's nothing wrong with Things like freedom, initiative, or power, all of which can be wielded for good, but they do not supersede our spiritual identity, the new life that we have in the Spirit. And that can be hard for our world to understand. It is the one who comes from heaven, as Jesus puts it, who has to explain it. He's the one who makes it possible. Jesus describes for us a new birth, a spiritual birth resulting in this new life. And wherever that happens in the timeline of an individual, for some of you, it was before you, you even know. Maybe you don't remember a time you didn't follow Jesus. And that's okay. That is just a much, as much a testimony as finding him later in life. For some, it is later in life. Maybe even much later, whenever it happens, it is just the beginning. It is just the beginning because whenever it happens, it is the beginning of eternal life. Our new life starts now, 
and extends into the life to come. He says in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The reference that he makes to Moses and in the wilderness, that's in Numbers chapter 21, where Israel is plagued by venomous snakes and at God's instruction. Moses makes a bronze snake and puts it on a pole so anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. And Jesus is saying similarly, but much more profoundly, the Son of Man, Jesus will be lifted up on the cross so that all who believe will have eternal life in him. Verse 16 restates it in what is most likely the the most quoted verse in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is about as close as you can get to the gospel in a single verse. The love of God is on display in Jesus giving up his life so that we can have eternal life with him. This is the work we seek to prepare ourselves to recognize him giving up his life to atone for our sins on Good Friday and the hope that comes with his resurrection on Easter Sunday. This is what we seek to position ourselves for during the Lenten season. And when he says believe, he's not simply talking about cognition. Nicodemus starts with knowing some things about Jesus, but it, Jesus gets into new life, which has to come from God. It is a trust that stakes one's present life on it, on Jesus. Having confidence in the eternal life to the extent that we're willing to give up the temporary one for him. Because and understand that all of this happens because God loves us. The gospel story is not Jesus keeping a vengeful God at bay who reluctantly relents because his son intervened. These ver- this verse tells us that he was sent because God loves us. Our problem is that because of our sin and rebellion, We all stand condemned before God. That's part of the death that Paul was talking about last week that comes from our sin. And the subsequent verses in the rest of the chapter of this chapter that we're in, they speak even more directly to the reality that if we reject the grace of God made possible through Jesus, then we stand condemned. But if we believe in him, If we entrust our lives to him, we have life. And it is God's desire that we have life. God showed us his love by sending his son. As verse 17 says, not to condemn the world, but to save it. So that we could have life with him forever. We can... As, Nicodem- as, as, as we go through John's gospel, Nicodemus shows up a couple more times, and it's kind of alluded that perhaps he comes to a greater understanding. John makes reference to some among the leadership who believed in Jesus, but in secret. 
for fear of what people thought. Perhaps Nicodemus was one of those. At least coming to the point of, of defending Jesus, suggesting to the council that they should at least hear him out before condemning him. But then we get to the end. And we find him accompanying Joseph of Arimathea, asking Caesar for Jesus' body after he dies. And it is them who prepare his body for burial, even after he was abandoned by most of his followers. In a gesture that was very public, and when you look at what they bring to prepare him, it, was, it actually is very costly, too. And such may be the life of faith. But it is worth it when we recognize that the life Jesus gives is much, much better than the life that is temporary. Eternal life with Jesus outweighs all that we might otherwise have. The gift that God gives does not simply give us a new outlook at life or another chance at it. Because God loves us, we have a whole new life that begins now and does not end if we believe in the one he sent to save us, Jesus. Entrusting ourselves to his lordship and his teaching, we have new life now, guided by the mysterious but life-giving activity of the Holy Spirit now, with the hope of knowing life with him forever because God loves the world. He loves us too much to leave us alone. He loves us too much to leave us in our sin. He loves us too much to not intervene. He loves us too much to let us be ruled by things lesser than him. He loves us so much that he gave us Jesus to die for our sins, to give us new and eternal life. If we only believe in him, if we receive him, Let's continue worshiping our Lord.